place-based change needs place-based champions, and it also needs a different approach and model than the conventional way. Traditional community development has failed to strike at the heart of intergenerational poverty because it has failed to leverage a holistic approach. It only touches at the edges, only addresses the symptoms of the problem rather than the problem itself. Welcome to This Is Community, a podcast series by Purpose Built Communities. In the first episode, we looked at how poverty has been segregated into specific neighborhoods, dividing the cities of Orlando, Florida and Raleigh, North Carolina. In this episode, we'll see how a holistic model has been successful in attacking the root of the problem of intergenerational poverty across the country. This is episode two, It Takes a Village. In any community, there are a number of organizations working towards its health and the health of its residents, from the private sector, the public sector, and the philanthropic sector. The key component to bringing together all of the partners across the neighborhood behind the three pillars of the purpose-built communities model, mixed-income housing, cradle-to-college education pipeline, and community wellness, is the community quarterback. If you think about this as collective impact at the neighborhood level, you need some entity, you call them a community quarterback, some people call it a backbone organization, but some organization that is bringing all of the partners together to share a vision for the neighborhood and then to deliver the various components of the transformational change in a collaborative way. David Edwards is the CEO of Purpose Built Communities. And in the absence of a community quarterback organization, most organizations will, will not collaborate in that way. Many of the partners necessary for this type of work, housing developers, school administrators, local policymakers, nonprofits, they work in their own silos. The community quarterback's job is to break those silos and to help these organizations see beyond the way they've always worked. These are private sector-led efforts that have a very long time frame associated with them. And you need somebody who will bring the public sector and the private sector and the philanthropic sector and the commercial sectors all together to work and thinking about time frames that are in the decades, not in the years. And so we think you need some separate entity to do that. It takes a certain kind of leader and organization to be able to break down those silos and build up the partnerships. What we really look for are what we call high capacity local leaders. And those are folks who have some stature in the community who if they pick up the phone and they call the school superintendent, they will get that call returned. If they call the mayor's office, they will get that, re that call returned. At this point, we think that's the level of leadership that's required because this is not a standard way of doing this work and they're going to spend a lot of time convincing people to do things differently. Someone needs to be the change maker to buck the system in place in order for inclusive and tangible community revitalization to be a reality. What we would hope is that the systems that work in this space will over time gravitate towards approaching the problem this way and we won't need that kind of level of um, seniority or stature in the community to get this kind of work done. And the model specifically focuses on the neighborhood rather than the city for a reason. The reason people move into a city and where they choose to live or where a business chooses to invest is completely dependent on the neighborhood. They don't care about how the school system's doing. They care about the elementary school that their child's going to. They don't care how safe the city is. They care about the safety of their neighborhood. They don't care how great the park system is. They care about the park that their kids go to. And so that, that what they purchase are neighborhoods. So neighborhoods, in our view, is the correct unit of analysis. And yet we're not organized around neighborhoods. If you walk into your city hall and ask 
talk to the person who's in charge of your neighborhood, you'll get a blank stare from, from the information desk because they'll have no idea what you're talking about. But the fact is, that's the product. That's the product that cities are delivering. So city government has a police department, and we say, your job is to prevent crime. We have a fire department, your job is to prevent fires. We have a planning department, your job is to rezone properties. And so we're, we're, we're designed, we've designed city government as a means to deliver very specific services. But the fact is, residents aren't buying those services. What residents buy are neighborhoods. And so much of what we spend our time doing is getting folks to think about the neighborhood as being the right unit of analysis. So we don't want to be the, the one neighborhood in the city that's done this. We want to be the, 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 the example of how this should be done. In the first episode, we heard about how Eddie Moreton saw the disparity between people on different sides of Colonial Drive in Orlando. He knew that in order to lift up those distressed areas of the city, he and Lift Orlando, the community quarterback there, would need to use that neighborhood unit of analysis. The key role that organizations like purpose-built community members play in focusing on a specific neighborhood determined to connect the lives of the people there to the momentum of broader opportunity and investment happening in their region. He saw that it all has to be tied together. It has to be holistic, take the whole neighborhood together. Just investing in a new school building or a YMCA, starting an after-school tutoring program, it's not enough on its own. Eddie and Lift Orlando saw that there were many organizations in the community, almost 4,000 of them, with good intentions, but they were a mile wide and an inch deep. They weren't having a meaningful impact. Orlando was still being ranked one of the worst cities in the country for the well-being of the poor. That really was intriguing that, uh, how could it be that we were spending so much money, doing so much good work, and somehow making things worse? That may sound like a familiar question. They felt overwhelmed looking at the daunting task of pulling together a holistic strategy that really attacked the root of poverty in their neighborhood. It's daunting. It isn't easy. It takes time to take that model and figure out how it applies to your specific community, to build the buy-in and partnerships with others in the community to make sure that the success lasts. Where do you start with something that big? Lift Orlando started by looking around at what other communities were doing seeing what they could adapt to their own situation. Things looked a lot different in those communities than what was happening in Orlando. 90% of nonprofits in Central Florida were doing relief work, feeding, clothing, housing, immediate crisis relief after hurricanes or floods. For people that are stuck in chronic generational poverty, uh, that free sandwich is only gonna go so far. They need something that's very different. A growing number of those nonprofits were doing betterment skills, training, tools to do better in life. And those two compare much like the metaphor of going from giving a man a fish to teaching a man how to fish. The communities they were looking at took that metaphor one step further. Not only does the man know how to fish, but does he own a fishing rod? Does he have the right bait? Does he have access to that pond? Is it, has it been stocked or is it fenced off? And uh, that there were environmental circumstances that were huge limiters to one's potential outside of the will or desire to succeed. Some of these communities had programs that were bottom up. They were driven by residents in the community who cared about their neighbors and where their neighborhoods were going. And those residents wanted to do something to help. Somebody starts doing a you know, Friday night hot dog night or a block party or safety watch and people get to know each other and suddenly the drug dealers don't want to sell on that corner anymore because there's eyes on the streets and people are talking to one another. It makes communities safer, 
and healthier in many ways. Those programs still weren't moving the needle in the overall health and well-being of the community, though. They saw other examples that were top-down, led by institutions and financiers bringing a lot of money to the table. Communities uh, were corporations or municipalities uh, were uh, embarking on tremendous uh, revitalizations and the rest of us would call it a beautiful transformation. But the people who used to live there uh, are nowhere to be found. They end up in the weekly, monthly motels outside of town because they can't afford the suburbs either. Eddie and the other founders of Lifter Orlando had something different in mind. So with that realization, we began to ponder, could you t bring those two forces together? Is it possible to do something that had the resources and the wherewithal of a top-down effort, uh, but included the voices and the will of the people who lived in these communities to really hold accountable these very powerful parties to do something that was in the best interest of the people who lived there? They were going to blend the two approaches together into a hybrid. They saw that for their community, they needed to incorporate elements of both the top-down and the bottom up. Bob Lupton, a community developer who had 40 years invested in revitalizing Atlanta, connected Lift Orlando with purpose-built communities. And he said something that stuck with Eddie. Bob Lupton, who first turned us on to purpose-built communities, uh, he put it this way. He said, you cannot serve the poor out of poverty. Uh, you can't come up with uh, well-run enough programs or services to actually bring people out of their condition of poverty, um, that what the poor need most uh, is not a program or a service, but a caring and connected neighbor. There couldn't just be investment to build a community's financial or physical capital, bringing new businesses in, constructing new homes and apartments, cleaning up the streets. To be successful at revitalizing a community, you also have to build its social capital, the connections between neighbors, the fabric that ties people to people. Let's take a hypothetical example. You lose your job tomorrow. You reach out to your network, to friends and colleagues to see if they know of any open positions that you should look at. They give you a handful of suggestions. Maybe they even connect you. One of them bites and you're back to work in a month or two. But if you're stuck in a neighborhood of concentrated poverty and you lose your job and everyone you know is stuck in the same rut you are, the last thing that'll cross your mind is to ask anyone to lend you their good name because you think that's gonna open a door for you. In fact, what you're likely to do is ask a stranger for money because you think that's what you need. And somehow this invisible asset that we all wield so liberally, think of how often you put in a good word for someone you don't even like, uh, then you find yourself uh, realizing that there is this great capital, this social capital that we all have in great abundance uh, that is the holy grail of neighborhoods of concentrated poverty. And rebuilding social capital can either make or break any attempts at community revitalization. When done right, every person in the community reaps the benefits. Take an example from Southeast Raleigh. They hired a team of canvassers to tell people about the redevelopment and holistic revitalization they were doing. About 20 teenagers were paid a living wage and trained on how to talk to people and collect data. They spent several months having conversations with people in the community, and one of them saw new light in that opportunity. Here's Kia Baker again. One in particular said to me is that, you know, I, I always knew that I had the power to, to be a leader, but no one ever gave me the opportunity to try it. Many of these neighborhoods didn't just lose their social capital. It was taken from them. In many cases, discriminatory policies and practices cut that social fabric into shreds. Reversing that history, resewing those pieces together again is difficult, sure. 
but it's essential to have that holistic growth for every resident of the community. Always lead with equity. And so we're really framing our work around a racial equity lens because we can do all of this, right? But if we don't blow up the system that created the problem in the first place, then 20, 30, 40 years from now, we're really just gonna be in the same place. In the next episode of This Is Community, we'll see how you know if you're really attacking at the root of intergenerational poverty. I walk out of my door and I feel it. You know, I feel um, that energy. I feel that kind of buzz, right? And so we're trying to create that sort of feeling. And, you know, there's no data on that. I don't know how you measure energy. I don't know how you measure vibrancy or whatever. But, you know, it's like, you know, several things that we know, right? You, you know, we know it when we see it. We know it when we feel it. Listen to This Is Community wherever podcasts are available or on purposebuiltcommunities.org podcast, where you'll find more information on the Purpose Built model and the stories from this podcast. This podcast is created in partnership with HL Strategy. Our executive producers are Aton Davidson, Howard Lawley, and Sherry Crawley. Our producer, director, and editor is Brady Hummel. Mixing and mastering is by Matt Honkinen, and our music is from Pitchwire. If you like this series, be sure to subscribe and share it. I'm Alexandra Wiggins for Purpose Built Communities, and this is Community. Community.